Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 402. Glory Rame, Trailblazing Sexuality Author. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Online with me from Georgia is Gloria Brame. How are you, Dr. Gloria? Oh, you may call me Gloria, please. <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. How are you? I am fine, and it's a real pleasure to talk to you this evening because you have been uh, an imprint in my kink life ever since you wrote <laughs> Different Loving. Thank you. And that, that kind of launched me into the direction that I am. And that was published in the 90s. 1993. Yeah. It came out in hardcover. But uh, most people see the paperback, which came out in 96. That's the one with the boots on the cover, those memorable high boots. Yes. Well, we uh, covered uh, Different Loving on uh, Kinky Cast episode 17 back in 2014. And again, you did Different Loving 2, that's with a T-O-O, episode 131. Different Loving 2 was kind of a follow-up on the original book, right? Right. Um, It had been 20 years uh, since we published it or almost, or maybe close to 25 even, but it'd been over 20 years. And at the time I was doing a series on my blog of 20 and up, you know, asking people to share personal stories of being in the lifestyle, because I thought this would be uh, very intriguing for, you know, for experienced players to hear somebody's life story, but really important for newcomers to read about how we evolve through BDSM, you know, that where we start is often not where we end up. Our assumptions at the beginning usually flip about 15 times by the time we get older, you know, we learn and we grow. And, um, and I thought a person, you know, personal narratives were very powerful in the original. So I thought going back and re-interviewing uh, about 20 people who appeared in the original was really fascinating. You know, personal document, personal narratives, looking back, what they thought, what they would have told themselves when they first started out, you know, how they identify today as opposed to how they identified then. And to that, we added um, several more interviews with people who you wouldn't have heard of in the 90s, but who had nonetheless been in the lifestyle that long and had their own stories to tell. And to improve also uh, inclusivity. Although we aim to be completely inclusive in the first different loving, you know, we, we just wanted to broaden it a little bit. And it was a landmark book back when it came out. Uh, people weren't really talking about uh, poly and, and uh, open sexuality that much and, until um, some of these books came out, these landmark books. Uh, 
that book presented us with so many obstacles and challenges to overcome and hostility from lawyers at the publishing house and editors freaking out and bookstores freaking out, you know, and it really probably is what gave me the courage to become who I've become because I've, it was very hard to get through that period. It was groundbreaking. And you had to educate publishers and bookstores and, and people that wanted to jump in the way of sexuality progress. I have often repeated that, uh, you know, I really got my PhD for the community because, you know, so like in community, please call me Gloria. But if you're not in the community, yeah, I want you to call me doctor because, when Different Loving came out, I was just so roundly and snottily, arrogantly dismissed by psychologists and psychiatrists. And they were like, you know, get out of here. You're calling this stuff normal. You're calling this stuff functional. No, 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 no. It's all psychopathy. And you're deluded. And, and I they, they know everything and you don't. And they knew everything they needed to know about it from Dr. Freud, for right. example. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I just, when the, there was an opportunity to go back to school, I took it. And uh, that's why I got my PhD. Well, that's fantastic. And along the way, you wrote several books that are eye-opening again. Um, the Truth About Sex, for instance. Right. I still, it was supposed to be a trilogy and I'm only like 10 years behind, but um, I was very happy with the first two volumes. What they're based on the work I did after I left graduates, I mean, after I completed my PhD, so it was postdoctoral and it was independent study to really learn what actually is going on in your body and your brain during sex, um, during function, what makes you, you know. And so I kind of rebuilt, uh, according to the science, what I felt was a indisputable template for what normalcy is in human sexuality. And that is, of course, what's normal is for everybody to be different in some way. Well, we are all unique. Yes. In our sexuality, I believe that's true. I've met a lot of people who, you know, have very similar personalities or look a lot alike, or, you know, you see doppelgangers in places or particular types of people, and you might assign characteristics to them. But when it comes to sex, every single, I can tell you that every single client in my practice, their problem was just a little bit different or for reasons or whatever their problem was their reasons for having that problem was just a little bit different. Our upbringings are so sketchy when it comes to sexuality. Right. And the culture you're raised in and the people you surround yourself with, these all can shape and impact, you know, like think about, there's a tremendous amount of fetish shame. And I think, especially in men, and I think that has a lot to do with, how difficult it is in aggressive uh, male spaces like locker rooms, 
in gyms where guys are, you know, they're talking about tits and ass and tits and ass and fetishist. Well, in politics, we heard it's just locker room talk and it doesn't seem to count. (laughs) Yay, you're on my side. I I try not to mention. (laughs) I I was saying something about uh, uh, our ex-nightmare and current still nightmare um, on in some group and they quickly, you know, pulled it away from politics, but I don't think you can separate politics and sex. Well, we've seen them interrelated here for a long time. And every time there's a sexual scandal, somebody is thrown up on the cross and crucified or they were until the last Dick in office. They still are. It's it's always a question of privilege and who calls them out. You know, um, if somebody really equal to Trump, just as rich and powerful as him, who was a woman, I don't know who that would have to be, the Queen of England. I don't know. But, uh, you know, if somebody of his stature called him out, it might be different. Yeah, it might be. Now, you also have some geographical information in the truth about sex uh, in the Deep South. Yes. You mean the porn slash Bible belt of America? The porn <laughs> slash Bible. I love that. It's, it's kind of a, a left and right. Well, it's, it's hardly, uh, you know, it's very old news that uh, this is where there is the greatest concentration both of fundamentalist Christianity and porn consumption. Somehow they seem diametrically opposed, but I you do know what so, you're talking but there about. Are, there are pastoral sites because I go where other people don't. There are Christian pastoral sites, very quiet and private that are devoted specifically to pastoring to porn addicts. Pastors who are porn addicts. Yeah, well, and we've all seen the news of the Catholic Church, what goes on there. So uh, nobody That's is. a whole different it. kind of thing. You know, to me, any violation of a minor is abhorrent to me, even though I had sex when I was a minor with men who were much older. It's not that I'm angry about that because I was raised in the 70s and that was a cultural norm. But these days, I feel that more and more people, and especially kids, are extremely sensitive about that, rightfully so, and are raised in a culture that has deemed it absolutely, well, it's illegal. It's simply illegal. And it does mess a lot of people up. It really, most cases, I would say, probably me too, but I, you know, healed myself. So that is not comparable to just the fact that you have all these people who want to control what other people see on the internet, what kind of choices women make with their bodies. They want to control every single aspect of reproductive function, including getting turned on by visual things, which is part of it. It is part of human sexuality, has always been, 
There's never been a time in his recorded history when there wasn't some kind of naughty pictures and porn on cave walls and stuff. It's just a normal part. And, you know, capitalism has just really fucked it up. And the very people who punish others are the ones who consume their product. So the South is uh, in a terrible place when it comes to evolving into the 21st century. And, and hypocrisy along the way. I watched a really interesting documentary the other night about a big school in North Carolina that had uh, shocking incidents of uh, suicide by its graduates. It was a, just a regular, I think, a high school. And an underlying that reality was the fact that they had let child molesters run rampant. You know, just like they let that guy, what was his name? Larry Nader or that other guy who was the big coach, basketball coach. I can't remember his right, name. The, the famous older one, yeah. Yeah, the older guy, you know, and people knew for years and years and years that these people were molesting kids and they closed their eyes to it. You know, that's what's sick in this culture. It is. You had mentioned your, your sexuality when you were a minor. You wrote a memoir from right. ages 10 to 17. Right. Is that cataloging some of this? Yes. It starts when I'm 10 and I realize, as I put it succinctly, everybody fucks. This was the greatest shock to me in the world because, you know, did that mean my parents did it too? And that was my introduction at age 10 to the facts of life, something my parents had never discussed with me, but which a little girl told me about one of my classmates. And I was like, no. <laughs> you learned about sex the way we did in the gutter, in the schoolyard. Yeah, literally. Right. Mm-hmm. It was right by my uh, elementary school. I still remember her saying that to me and me being shocked out of my wits. But then I realized, well, if that's how you reproduce, then I guess everybody fucks. And yet all the adults acted like sex did not exist. It simply didn't exist in their world. And nobody talked about it. And you certainly didn't talk about it. And you were not supposed to be educated about it. So that's where I start. And being, uh, I think, wired for kink, you know, I was deeply curious about the taboos. And as I grew up in my teens, I found myself, you know, I had a girlfriend who did me a huge favor, still my best friend when we were 15, took me to a, a local five and 10 type shop. They don't exist anymore. Um, and I got a vibrator. And it was amazing and wonderful. But I found that when all my fantasies, at the time, I didn't know what they were. But later on, I realized all of my sex fantasies involved bondage and leather and leather and bondage and coercive scenes and non-consensual scenes and all kinds of stuff like that. And I felt really weird about it. It was my great big secret until I was in my 20s. Well, that, that's uh, pretty advanced for that age. <laughs> well, so I, I wrote about, you know, this duality between I was a cute little girl 
I was a very unhappy girl because I had a very unhappy family life and I was a hippie. I was just engulfed in all kinds of sexual experiences that a girl my age probably shouldn't have had. I would die if my daughter had that, you know, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But at the same time, I am who I am. And uh, I grew up in adulthood, came to really love myself. And that's all now fodder for the writing machine that I am. <laughs> Well, the writing machine goes on and you have now moved on to sex for grownups. Right. And that was the one where I said, you know what? Polly has always existed. BDSM has always existed. Gay people, lesbian people, transgender people. We have always all existed. You can go back to ancient Rome. You can go out to China, ancient China. It doesn't matter. This is who we are as human beings. And there are a million explanations. It doesn't begin or end with genetics, but they have a role. It doesn't begin or end with how you were raised, but it has a role. It's this unpredictable confluence of particulars, you know, even your physical health or disability or special gift or different brain. You know, all of that shapes your sexual identity and your sexual identity is inseparable from who you are as a human being. And when people realize that, uh, it's a real shock. Yeah. So later on, you came up with a, uh, a, a fairly popular book, one called Come Hither. I took a long time off after Different Loving because of the aforementioned challenges. At that point, I was back at school getting a PhD. And what I mean is the aforementioned challenges of having published Different Loving. There were a lot of repercussions to my career as a mainstream writer. I lost a tremendous amount of work. I got really poor, <laughs> you know. And that was when um, I decided that if I was going to be pigeonholed, that was fine. It was just a sex writer or just a kinky writer, but I needed the credentials to be taken seriously. Come Hither was actually my doctoral dissertation, which I managed to uh, sell to a mainstream house. And the book was accepted in lieu of a dissertation. I just had to do a defense of what I wrote. And it was intended to gently, whereas different loving was like a hardcore look at the scene in the early 90s. Come Hither was more user-friendly. It was like, you might be kinky, take this little quiz. Here are a whole bunch of different fetishes, never make assumptions that if somebody likes one kind of thing that there's, you know, it could be very specific. Like if somebody says they like feet, well, do they like the whole foot? Do they like the foot and the leg? Do they like the footwear, the lingerie? Do they like shoes? What kind of shoe? <laughs> you know, It just goes on and on. Foot fetishism is a, one of my favorite examples because it's so wildly varied. It is. You know, some people like bastinado and some people don't. Right. There's just a, a wealth of um, 
books that are, are factual, but you've also gotten into the novel world. You have a new book called Amazon Hammer. What's that about? That's my second novel. I've written two novels in the last three years. This novel is about a woman who's an awful lot younger and prettier than me, but is kind of me. I like to, she's about 50% me. And it's about her journey. She starts much young. She starts 10 years before I did. She starts at age 18. She's more woke. And by the time she's 20, she, st she started working as a pro dump. And you follow this incredible arc in her life. It's a building's romance. I don't know if people know what that is, but it's a particular kind of novel where you start with a young character and then you follow them either till middle, you know, until they have become mature adults, just to see what the arc of their life is. And her arc is pretty triumphant. She's the opposite of the Victorian heroine. She is a 21st century heroine who actually succeeds on her own terms and profits by being true to herself. So it's an amazing growth experience for her because she felt so powerless and unhappy in her youth for completely different reasons than me, but you know, but she was a child of privilege, but the privilege came with such heavy and tragic baggage that she fled. She fled straight into the arms of her grandfather, who she didn't know was even alive. And he turned out to be a very happily married gay man. And she went to live with him. And although he himself was not kinky, he was just a fantastic guy just a wonderful, kind man who gave her that unconditional parental love she'd never had. And he supports her in everything she does. This book I really, really, really love. I think it's as good as different loving, maybe better in its own way, because it's very warm. My whole heart went into it. It's got a lot of funny shit in it because I like to crack a lot of jokes. And I think it's just a, an easy, beautiful story to follow and really cool for BDSMers because I think I capture very honest portrayals of what our lives are like, what the lives of BDSMers are like, certainly for femdoms, pro or not pro, how difficult it can be to form relationships how difficult it can be to sustain them, how shame destroys relationships, how you have to learn to rely on your own vision of morality and truth and justice and try to maintain your own integrity no matter what's going on and thus make choices from a base of self-love and self-power, which is where she gets to as she grows up. As she comes of age. As she comes of age. And you have another novel also. Yes, that was the prequel called Champions of Pleasure. And both my books, by the way, are just devoted to the community at large. And that one, too, is 
that one is like a, a, a subway ride. And the book about Jax, Amazon Hammer, Jack, uh, her professional name is Mistress Amazon. And at a certain point in the book, she has to drop the hammer on someone. <laughs> she uh-huh. does. Pretty hard. But she extricates herself from a situation that most of us would be powerless or feel powerless to leave. And she does it with determination and strength when she realizes that she has just reached her limit. These are all great reads. And on the Kinky Cast show page for this episode, all these books and links to where you can get them will be listed. And for more information about Dr. Gloria Brame, uh, a link will be there for your uh, webpage. My webpage is really easy. It's G-L-O-R-I-A-B-R-A-M-E dot com. That is pretty easy to find. (laughs) And Gloria, I want to thank you for being back on the cast after episode 17, 131, and this one, which is now in our 400s. Congratulations. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we really look forward to your next book to hear about what's going to go on. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) You know, people don't read much anymore. Books anyway. But But a uh, a good story is a good story. Well, Amazon Hammer is a good story. I, I can I can guarantee that. Thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast, and we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max.